0: List I-O. Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast We are back here with episode 41. I am your host, Kyle Creasy. And today I'm joined by Grizzlies writer and podcaster Bryson Wright. Bryson, what's up, man?
1: What's up? How are you doing, man? Very excited to be on here today.
0: Yeah, glad we could work it out. This is something that's been in the works for a while. Um, didn't know whenever I wanted to talk Grizzlies, but just felt like a good time to do it. So. Appreciate you coming on, giving some time. But let's get straight into it, man. The Grizzlies right now sitting at second in the Western Conference at 35 and 22 overall. They have a three-game lead over the Kings, who have been in third for, seems like, forever. One, two, and three have been the same for what seems like a long time at this point with Denver, you guys, and Sacramento. Definitely. Um, I want to talk about some stuff, you know, from the very beginning. Coming into the season, you guys were without Jaron, who had gotten injured, you know, in the offseason. Um, You had lost D'Anthony Melton and Kyle Anderson, uh, Kyle via free agency and D'Anthony Melton via trade. Um, And then Desmond Vane got hurt very very early in the season. I mean, it didn't look super promising in terms of questions around the roster as the season was going on. What do you think has been this team's biggest strength in terms of holding on and now being back? I know they had a little rough patch and we'll get into that, but, you know, still comfortably sitting in second, heading into, you know, as the final stretch of the season to the playoffs, probably being a top three seed?
1: Well, I'll say to start with at the the beginning of the season, when you talk about not having Jaron losing Kyle, the guy that they were looking to, to kind of make up for that was Santi Aldama. And he is a guy that a lot of people outside of like, if you don't watch the Grizzlies every night, you probably don't know who Santi Aldama is, like, I'll be honest, but the way that he kind of played at the beginning of the season in place of Jaron. And then the way that he kind of, he 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 got him, he got into a rhythm and he kind of got like a little bit of swagger about him. And he like, he now knows that he can actually play in the NBA. So when Jaron came back and he went back to the bench, like he's been one of their most consistent scorers off the bench so far. So I think he's been a big part of it. And then it's also, it's it's been like that really this entire group has been really good at stepping in when people have been out before the little rough patch that they had when Steven Adams has been out, that's like the one guy that they haven't really been able to make up for. Uh, but you go back to last season, the big storyline of they were so good without Ja. It's like, they, like ev- they've always been able to make up for whoever's out, whether it's Ja, whether it's Desmond, whether it's Jaron Jackson jr. And I think it's a lot about like the chemistry and like, that's how tight knit the group is themselves. And also like, like, Whenever Steven Adams got hurt, right, you bring in Xavier Tillman. Xavier Tillman played for most of that first-round playoff series against the Timberwolves last year. So it's not like you're bringing in guys that have never played before, and I think that's the big thing. They have a lot of guys. It's like they have depth in terms of guys that can play. Now, there are guys that can play that you might not want to play big minutes, but they have a lot of guys that they can play in a pinch, and I think that's the reason why they do so well. Or better than most people would expect whenever they're missing some of their top guys.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, they started 12 and nine, like a little shaky, and then Bain's injury occurred. And that's where the, the more questions arose for me. I think a lot of people was, can they even hang on up there? And then they just, you know, rallied off a ton of wins. Like they ended up being 31 and 13 after that. And I think obviously a huge part of that was that their key guy, Jaron, was back. And, you know, when you take a look, until he was back on November 15th, they were 17th in defense. That's per clean, clean, clean the glass on defensive rating. They're now second in defense overall in the entire season, even though they were 17th for the first month. Um, They're just barely behind Milwaukee. Who's in first, who has a bunch of studs on that end of the floor. Um, You know, from the time jaron has been there, they have by far the number one defense uh, since, since he got back on November 15th. Um, you know, I, I've always liked Jaron. You know, I've said it on this podcast before, he was my defensive player of the year pick last year. Towards the end of the season, I thought he had kind of earned the right to win it. It is what it is. Marcus Smart ended up getting it. Um this season, there's been some controversy because of the fake, you know, the whole Reddit thing that came out. And some people have kind of been talking about his foul issues and his foul trouble that's occurred from prior years, even though it's been better. But I just want to pose like the question <laughs> yeah. to you. Yeah, I just want to pose the question to you, like. Why should Jaron be in that top two, three defensive player of the year conversation?
1: Well, the the biggest thing is I've I always say that if Jaron scored zero points every night, like if he went out and he averaged zero points per game, he would still have an argument to be Maybe not the most impactful, but maybe the second most impactful person on the floor. Mm -hmm. Just because their entire defensive scheme kind of revolves around pushing people to the rim and attacking Jaron. And then uh, the way that he's kind of learned how to play passing lanes and stuff, he's been he's gotten really good with his hands. He's averaging over a steal per game this year. Last night, he had four blocks and five steals, which is like you never see that kind of stuff from like a big man like in it's. It's so crazy just to see his his defensive versatility. I think that's his big thing is because people want to compare him to like when Gobert and it's like, oh, he's a great rim protector, which he is. But it's like you have a great rim protector who if you get us into a switch with a smaller player, he still is quick enough to keep up with him. Like I always go back to I, I was at a game last year uh, and everybody knows Luca loves to bring out the big man and I'm going to go to work on him. And he, he did the pick and roll. They brought Jaron up twice in the first quarter. He didn't do it for the rest of the game after that. <laughs> he 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 picked on Brandon Clark and Steven Adams. He did do that. I'll tell you that. But he did not ask for any more screens on Jaron after that. Yeah, because yeah. it's like you it's like you you think us oh, a bigger guy, it's like it he's got that mobility and he can stay in front of smaller guys too. And I think that's the biggest thing. And then like the rim protection stuff this year has just been ridiculous oh, yeah! Uh, in terms of like he's leading blocks per game like by almost a block now. He's He officially qualifies. He didn't qualify for a long time uh, because he missed the early part of the season. But yeah. now that he qualifies for stats and all that, he's leading the NBA in blocks per game. And based on the trajectory he's on, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up leading for the season overall, despite missing the beginning of the year. So that would be a pretty big accomplishment and then the whole the reddit thing so i know there is a couple people that went went back and like looked at it and they said they were maybe like two or three blocks the whole season where they were like maybe it was questionable you know what i mean (laughs) not not like it was anything crazy uh and everybody's like, well, why why are his stats so much better at home than on the road? Like, look at their record at home versus on the road. Yeah. It's like I'm pretty sure they've only lost like five home games and they're under 500 on the road. So you're basically looking at it and it's like, oh, he plays better and wins. Like that's the way I looked at it. It's like yeah. he played when he plays better, the Grizzlies win. And the Grizzlies usually play better at home. Right. So that's just that's just how it's been this season. Uh I would like to see if they can fix that before the playoffs, you know, that's not necessarily uh, the crutch you want to have, but it's the reason his stats are better at home. Aren't because they're fake. It's just because (laughs) the team, (laughs) the team as a whole, just, they all play better at home. I don't know if they just feed off of the energy or it's almost like, I feel like sometimes it's not even just him. uh, That's the issue. It's like everybody else isn't playing as good. Uh, And it's like Jaren's defense and some of those stats Depend so much on other people also playing defense oh, yeah. and there have been times this year where we haven't really seen that as much and they just do stuff that doesn't make sense on that end from time to time so it's really it's, it's honestly really surprising like whenever I look at the defensive ratings that they're second because they have like they have, they're a great defensive team but there are times where it just doesn't feel like that
0: well and especially when you look through the the defensive personnel all the way around isn't great in terms of like player for player Like, it's really, you know, Jaron's anchoring and you obviously have Dylan Brooks, who's great at what he does and probably gets under, I don't what's the term here? Probably undervalued at times. Yeah, I would say
1: with Dylan, it's it's so hard to find his value at times because you'll see him when he'll have the game. Like last night, he had a game where I think he was like five out of 12, you know, which isn't bad for him, but it's like. He's taking smart shots. He's not trying to take these. I I like to call them the Kobe the Kobe hero shots. Uh, where y- you know there there's not not everybody in the, not everybody can take those shots. You know, uh, he and when he doesn't do that, he is such a huge positive on the court. But then it's just like you see those two or three games, and I think a lot of it comes from last year in the playoffs too, where you'll see him, uh. Kind of shoot them out of games, and I think that's been the issue at times. But he's done a lot less of that this year. Like he's had some stinkers, just like everybody else oh, yeah. uh, on the team has. But I, I don't think he's been the main issue or anything. But yeah, he he always is going to be one of the guys that get, gets brought up just because of his offensive inefficiency, you know. And that, and and that's the problem. But there's without him on defense. And I think that's the problem why it's so hard to find his value, (laughs) because without him on defense, the Grizzlies would struggle, because there's not another guy, well, there's not many guys in the NBA where you can legitimately, like the Grizzlies played uh, the Warriors, and then uh, he'll guard Steph, and then if you play the Lakers, he'll guard LeBron, and then if you play the Raptors, he might guard Siakam, and it's like, there's not many guys in the NBA where they can do that, and I
0: think that's where his value really is. Yeah, for sure. And I I definitely have some talking points about DB later. I want to go back to Jaron for a minute. Um, The thing you said about Luca, I really like because I remember there was a game for me last year. I think it was national television, and they were playing the Nets. And, you know, I I think that the league – people in the league always knew, like, hey, this guy's a really good defender. But I think kind of last year was, like, the breakout of, like, no, like, he's a great defender. And one game specifically that that stood out to me – and I feel like I watch a good amount of Grizzlies games. Um, obviously, if you guys listen, you know I'm a Clippers fan. I watch, watch them all the time. And I'm w- trying to watch everybody in the league. Grizzlies are a team naturally being being like somewhat of a local team since I'm right outside Knoxville, Tennessee. get to see them a lot. And, man, that game against the Nets, Kevin Durant kept trying to get the switch. I think just, you know, going for a big. And Jaron was just guarding it about as good as possible every single possession. And so that's whenever it, like, finally stuck out to me of, like, now, like, it's not just spurts. Like, this is consistent, and, like, he's great at what he does. The one thing that I – and he's gotten much better about it. Like, like even numbers are telling you he's gotten much better about it. It, it, I think it will always be hard for me. And he's in my top three right now to win, like, Defensive Player of the Year if you're playing, like, 26, 27 minutes a game because of the foul issues.
1: Yeah. Well, see, and I, I, I do agree with that because – It's been better this year, like you said. It's definitely better. I think the problem, the reason why it seems worse is because a lot of the times that all of this is happening is it's in all the big national TV games. Like, he fouls out on Christmas. He fouls out on Super Bowl Sunday against the Celtics. Or maybe not fouls out, but no, yeah, no, he fouled out on that. And it's like, those are probably the two games that most people have watched in the Grizzlies all year. And then it's like, you have the national people that maybe, like, not to say I expect everybody to watch every grizzlies game because it's not possible for you to watch every every game of every team you know so but i think that that's part of the reason why that narrative keeps getting pushed maybe a little bit more not not that he doesn't need to work on it he still needs to fix some things uh but for the vast majority of the season he's been much better than he has been in the past and it's been more like you look at his fouls per game has dropped but it's also like You don't see as many two fouls in the first quarter, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe he'll have four in the game, but he picked up his fourth foul in the fourth quarter instead of picking it up in the third quarter. It's just like all those little things allow him to play a little bit more. And that's the big thing. And I will say, I think the minutes, it, it has been affected by the fouls in some of the games. But I mean, like you go back to the Celsius game, he fouled out the Warriors game, all that uh but I think part of the reason his minutes is down is because he was on a minutes restriction when he first came back too sure so that's so that's part of it but yeah I definitely see that's that's like the only argument I think against him for the defensive player of the year but I still feel like if you look at just like overall impact and like net rating stuff he's clearly like when he's on the floor the Grizzlies I think are like plus 11 or something crazy uh for the yeah. season so it's it's ridiculous
0: yeah and like the one area that I just wish that uh, aggravates me, I'm not even a Grizzlies fan is like it happened in the Celtics game the other day. It's like, it, this is just very nitpicky stuff. It's like early fourth, first quarter. And you, you kind of hit on this a little bit and like something's going on with the ball screen. I don't exactly remember what happened. And he just like reaches over the top of the ball screen, just trying to like go for the ball handler. And I'm like, dude, you don't need to do that. Like, you can't... Yeah, those are the ones
1: that hurt. And this is what I always say I never get mad. Like, if, he, if you're going up to block a shot and you get a foul, like, that's not the ones. Like, honestly, you would think, like, when you look at his block numbers, you were like, oh, he just goes for too many blocks. That's why he gets fouled. Yeah. I promise you, most of the times where he, when he gets in foul trouble, it's because of like a stupid reach in foul. Or it's because of an offensive foul, which is another thing that we've seen is too like when he gets frustrated with his fouling and then he gets the ball, sometimes it's like he's over aggressive because he's frustrated. And I think that's how people bait him into offensive okay. fouls too. Because a lot of the times when he actually gets taken out of the games because of fouls, it's after an offensive foul. That's yeah. just how I've seen it. I don't know what the stats would necessarily tell you about that. That's just how, like, I don't have any stats to back that up. That's more of just, like, an observation. But yeah. offensive fouls have been a big issue for him, especially in those games where he does end up in foul trouble.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a great point because, like, I mean, I I, I like to watch Grizz's games, but I'm obviously not watching them all. But I, I totally, like, agree with that observation because Jaron has become, like, he's been a skilled player ever since he entered the league. But he's gotten a little bit better about, like, being smart on drives. But sometimes he does just kind of have the tunnel vision and just barrels downhill, and the guy just easily slides over and takes the hit. So, yeah, I I would just love to see him consistently, like, in a year or two or maybe even late in this year, maybe in some playoffs this year, play, like, 33, 34, 35 minutes. Like, I just wonder what the impact would be like in an extra seven, eight, nine minutes of play consistently from Jaron.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, you look at like the per 36 minute stats and it'll tell you that it would be incredible. And then I think he played either 31 or 32 uh, last night and 26 points, five steals, four blocks, nine rebounds, like basically just did everything that you would want from him on both ends of the floor. Uh, But I think that when it comes to him, it's like he's going to have to continue to get better. as like a two way player. Uh, Like the defense is big. Uh, but and it's not all on him because sometimes, uh, as much as I do enjoy watching Ja and Desmond and running up and down the court and Duncan and crazy layups and deep threes and all that, sometimes I feel like, like Jaren's got a 6'8 dude on you, you know, like give it to him and see if he can score, like, and especially like last night in that first quarter. He was just killing it. And you saw, like, at halftime, they had built like a 20 point lead. They go away from him a little bit in that third quarter. And then all of a sudden, the Jazz, no Laurie Markkinen, have come back and it's a five point game in the fourth quarter. And then they go back to it and you win. So it's it's one of those things where I think that's going to be a big thing is seeing more of him on the other end down the stretch. And I think that's really going to have to unlock the rest of the team, especially because the playoffs are so like half court oriented. And that's going to be the easiest way to get half-court buckets is by giving it to Jaron, especially because there's not a lot of guys that have a power forward that's as big as Jaron, especially once Steven is back in the lineup.
0: Yep. And, you know, I look at his defensive numbers so much because I'm just, you know, I want to see it and just evaluating, like, for my own sake. But I haven't taken a deep dive into, like, offensive numbers, but I test, to me alone, there seems to be improvement on that end already and i i really like his potential to be a consistent like 18 20 point per game score for a long time
1: oh definitely and i think the thing is that he's more efficient this year mm-hmm. i think he's shooting over 50 percent for the first time in his career Obviously since it. i think like his maybe his rookie year he did but like this has been the most efficient season that he's had like by far on the offensive end and, and that's partly just people like the rest of the team has learned where he likes to get the ball yeah. he either likes to get the ball posted up sometimes he likes to get the ball kind of like on the outside and drive Uh I, I don't want to compare him to Giannis because it's so because like it's Giannis and he's not on Giannis's level but when you look at like the player that I think that not not to say that everything he's going to be as good as Giannis is right now but when you look at a player that's like of that type he has some of that same stuff when you're talking about being able to drive when he has like bigger guys on him and stuff like that and then some of the post moves but obviously he still has a long way to go before he gets to that level
0: yeah and I don't think that it's like crazy to like you know I I think some people take it the wrong way when you mention a player sometimes it's like you're not saying he's going to be him it's just it's a comp, like it's a player comp. Like,
1: like, yeah, he has like, you know, if you play 2K where it's like shades of like yeah. it's like shades of Giannis to take the Yeah. Sometimes. Not yeah. all the time, because if it was all the time, then the Grizzlies would be the best team in the NBA. But
0: Yeah, and I also like how you kind of brought up, you know, still learning to play with him. And that's a great point because they essentially lost a year with him. Like in, you know, in his I think it was his second season where he was pretty much out the entire year. Yep. So you know he's he's still like He's basically a year younger than what his actual playing years say, and so it, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, looking back, the overall record after they did end up thirty-one and thirteen, they are now four and nine in their last thirteen. And Stephen Adams went out recently, and they're four and seven ever since that happened. I just want to ask, from a Grizzlies fan perspective, what does Stephen Adams bring to the table that many people probably don't realize? Or you know, to me, it's like how well he complements you know Jaw in the half court and just kind of that double big and the rebounding stuff. But just kind of from a Grizzlies fan perspective, why is Steven Adams so important to this team? Well,
1: the first is the rebounding and offensive rebounding for sure. Because the one thing about the Grizzlies is they're not like a great shooting team when it comes to percentages and efficiency. Like they're just not a great shooting team. But when you take 10 or 15 more shots than the other team does – whether that's from offensive rebounds or forcing turnovers, which is the two things that the Grizzlies have been like the best at over like the last two or three years, is we're you know get more offensive rebounds so you get more shots up because a lot of times they're not more efficient than the other team they're playing. Uh, it's just because they have more shots, whether it's because they're getting steals uh, or if they're just getting a lot of offensive rebounds. And then since Stephen Adams has went out, it's like like early in the season the grizzlies it was almost every game you could guarantee like if you if you if you could bet on which team would win the rebounding battle and you could bet on the grizzlies every night you would have made a lot of money over the first like 40 games of the season so uh but just the way that he never stops moving especially on the offensive glass and he's just such a force down there and he's i I think he's the strongest player in the NBA I just don't think that's great. Like, yeah, like pound for pound, he might like may- maybe not to lift the most, but hardest to move. Yeah. You know, like like he, he, he it's it's very hard to move him on the interior and then on the offensive end too, uh the way that he can like his screens are awesome. Uh I think he's one of the best screeners in the NBA, which is something that people don't really talk about as much just because it's not like a sexy stat you know nobody's out here looking as like oh wow this is the best screener of all time or anything like that but when you have a guy that's as quick as Ja, and then you're trying to guard john Morant and you run into a steven adams screen uh, i do not envy the person who (laughs) who has to deal with that on a nightly basis uh so and then it just opens up the offense it makes it easier for him to get uh to the rim and also his ability to kind of like even box out before shots go up to give Jaw even more of an open lane. Because yeah. uh, there'll be times where uh, if you look at some of Jaw's highlight plays, always look at where Steven Adams is. And he's probably boxing out the big man so that Jaw has an easier lane to the basket. Yeah. Uh, so e- even those kind of screens, that aren't really screens, but it's kind of like just making sure that defenders can't get over to help and stuff like that uh, when Jaw's doing all those spectacular drives and underhand finishes and all that. Steven Adams is, like, the unsung hero behind all of that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I, I couldn't agree more with, like, every point you made. And I just think that, like, the one thing about him that sticks out is I think he has perfectly figured out how to play around Ja. Like, I think he is, yes. you, know, you know, like, obviously, Valanciunas, like, did some good things for Memphis. And, like, they had, you know, like, they they had a good time. Like, like they were winning basketball games. But I just think ever since they made that move, like, Stevo, like, really knows like, kind of when to just be in the dunker spot, you know, when to kind of come in as jaw attacks. If he's out on the perimeter, he kind of, I feel like he knows when to kind of just swing it and maybe go set a pin down on the opposite side, or maybe when to go into a DHO with jaw. I think he just really has found out, hey, if jaw comes off and this happens, I know when to twist it. Like, I think he's just really figured out to perfection how to play alongside jaw in all possible ways in the half court.
1: Definitely. And I think the biggest reason between because if you look at Stephen Adams and Jonas Valanciunas and you just look at the stats, like you'll say, oh, you'd rather have Jonas Valanciunas. But it's also uh, look at Josh stats the year he had Jonas versus when Stephen came back. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that ja, ja definitely got better between year two and two, yeah. year three. Yeah. But the eight the eight point jump in points per game was not just because of how much better he got. It's partly because uh, like as good as Valanchunas was, he's like a higher usage guy. He's the type Mm -hmm. of dude where you're still going to have to throw it inside to the post. And like you said, Jaron had missed time. So when we were feeding Jonas on the inside like that, that was when Jaron was out. And Mm -hmm. when Jaron came back, they were like, we're not going to be able to feed both of those guys on the inside. We got to get somebody who can do the things you still like about Jonas, which was big, mostly the offensive rebounding scoring, uh, but you don't need the scoring as much. And it's like, well, Stephen Adams made sense. Uh, they were able to move up in the draft, which they ended up taking Zaire, which I'm still high on Zaire, but the draft pick thing probably wasn't as big of a deal as you you think it is going into it. Because, yeah. I mean, the Pelicans end up getting Trey Murphy at 17, and mm-hmm. you could argue that Trey Murphy's, I mean, it's not really an argument. Trey Murphy is better right now. Yeah. So it's like, it, it so the draft pick wasn't as big of a deal, but I still think that getting Steven Adams instead of Jonas is still I, I think it was the best thing for him. It opens up the floor for everybody else. And I think that was the biggest, the biggest plus.
0: Yeah. And you know, we were talking earlier. I double checked earlier while you were talking, you know, you mentioned how Jaron has like the highest on off on the team right there, at second highest at plus nine point two is Steven Adams. And I you know it's not yep. a coincidence, like everything that we've talked about here. He is so important, and their 4-7 and seven record in the last 11 games truly shows why. Um, you know, they have won, like, three of the last four, I think, and um, in the, in the yes. loss, you know, on the road in Boston, which tough environment, tough team is what it is. But Basically the best record in the NBA, you know. Yeah. I know they were missing some
1: guys, but yeah, Boston it really doesn't even matter if you're missing guys at this mm-hmm. point.
0: Just such a deep team that just plays – coach so well, plays so well, especially at home. Um, and, you know, you obviously mentioned your all's road struggles earlier. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but, you know, I, I want to go now into what's kind of been, you know, obviously Steve-O's out, but there's still like a hole or holes on this team. And two of them, or both of them that I want to acknowledge have, you know, already been touched on a little bit. But it's just been so apparent to me that this team lacks real point of attack defense along with consistent three-point shooting. And... You know, I went earlier and was looking today before we hopped on this pod. Like, shout out to B-Ball Index, great site with great statistics. Um, I, I put in four stats like to just look at Grizzlies players of just B Ball Index's on-ball defensive rating, their passing lane defense, their ball screen navigation, and their D. LeBron rating, which is just basically a defensive impact stat. And, you know, obviously these are stats, but I feel like it kind of backs up the eye test as well. There's only two guys who consistently are on the perimeter defense you know have like consistent good ratings on all four of those and i mean one of them's obvious with dylan brooks but could you take a guess who the second one was Dude, that's i wouldn't have expected it i'll put it that way
1: i don't even i don't even know like probably like zaire or something weird like that it wasn't (laughs) like i don't know
0: it it was it was john conchar and i mean john conchar and I yeah i would not have guessed it. yeah it, it didn't really it was confusing to me but also like I get it because the minutes aren't very high or consistent. So, like, if yeah. he's doing stuff at all, it's probably going to naturally be higher just because a lot less minutes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're basically talking one, like, heavy rotation player in terms of minutes that has any what of perimeter defense and overall impact at all that's, like, at a high level um, in DB. And I, I just – It makes sense why they were so much connected to, like, OG Ananobi and Mikel Bridges, you know, involved in, in like, a potential three-team trade. Um, They obviously have been reported to have heavily went after OG. um, And apparently, I I don't remember where I saw it exactly, but, you know, Zach Lowe of ESPN had mentioned that he had heard that a team had offered four first-round picks for Mikel Bridges. And that was reported somewhere. I can't remember where, and it's bothering me now. Yes, like, I've I mean, heard that. Yeah,
1: yeah um, I've heard that as well. And it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Because I think at the point where they're at now is that, not to say that first-round draft picks don't matter, because they're always going to matter a little oh, bit. Yeah. But when you, when you kind of, like, project this team out, right, like they're second in the West this year, not to say they're going to win the finals or anything, mm-hmm. but you're going to be in – you know the 20s yeah regardless of what happens in the playoffs yeah and when you have like considering you have ja jaron locked up uh ja for the next five years jaron for the next four years after this you're probably gonna uh well it's a no-brainer they're gonna sign desmond bain to an extension yeah you're looking at it if you're talking about four first round picks it's like most of those first round picks are going to be in the 20s and it's -hmm. like would you rather have four players that were drafted in the 20s or one Macau Bridges. Yeah. And it's kind of, and, and it's like, that's kind of the way that I think they're looking at it. Uh, now, is that a little bit of an overpay? Maybe, uh, but I feel like it's it's like they're overpaying because they know that it's like you're getting the missing link almost. For sure. uh, because like, like I said, as much as I like Dylan, if you could get a guy like Macau Bridges, like it's not even a question that you go after him. Yeah, uh, the, d- the defensive stuff, like you said, uh, they struggle on defense, like point of attack defense. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why they jumped so much when Jaron got back is because you're letting guys drive past you. But now you actually have somebody, you know, behind you that's kind of cleaning it up. And I think that was a big reason uh, why he's been great. Uh, but, yeah, I-, I think that all the guys that they were looking at uh, are guys that I was I was in on, you know especially like even canard which obviously he's not one of those awesome point of attack defenders or anything like that uh but it does the the other shooting the the, the other need is shooting right like that's the other thing is three-point shooting and free throw shooting uh worst free throw shooting team in the league i don't know exactly where they are on three-point percentage but it can't be great and three-pointers made uh they've And whenever they do knock those down, they, they look awesome. But then you have games where you're like going seven out of 35 from three. And it's just like, can't, can't have those. And I think that's why they looked at guys like Macau, OG, stuff like that.
0: So they are 21st this season in three point field goal percentage, according to cleaning the glass. And they're right under league average. League average is basically right above 36 this year. They're at 35.3. So obviously been a lack. Um, you know I, I i also just want to point out like i like i totally agree with the whole thing about it it might be an overpay but it's also like it's a overpay that probably is worth it in the sense that you already have your core that you're trying to really win with and you know it's also at the same time it's not a we say that but it's also not the same caliber of an overpay like for instance the gobert trade was like it's not that yeah and and man like Kleiman is so good at what he does, and he's very good at recognizing talent. And I just – it's no coincidence, and it makes perfect sense that he was willing to give up four first-round picks for Mikael Bridges, for instance, who just got his first 40-point game of his career while being, like, empowered more. And, you know, I don't think the Suns were holding him back at all. I just think it's, like, such a talented player that's just – they're they're free reign now. Like – like, and the, just the defense has always been there. I mean, he was a defensive player of the year candidate last year, like probably an all-defense candidate this year. Like, th- that's a guy I'm super high on, and if they could have yeah. acquired him, I mean, there's no telling where my mindset would have been in terms of ceiling for this team. I still think they have extremely high ceiling, but, man, if they could have gotten him. And I, I like OG that's on really cool. I like OG. I really do. I like him a lot. The defense is great, but the shooting is just not the same or the shot creation as, like, 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 I yeah. honestly think that, like, I think people will see it now that Mikhail Bridges is, is who people like kind of thought that like OG in theory should be and why, mm-hmm. like, like, why all these teams were possibly going to trade for OG. It's like, no, if both those guys are available, I can promise you Bridges is the one that all teams would go for. And
1: oh, yeah, definitely. And the only reason why I was more on the OG train than the Macau train at first. Was because I didn't think Macau was available.
0: Oh, yeah. No, he, he was, <laughs> you only, know, he only became available as soon as he was a part of the Kevin Durant trade. Like that was yeah. not an option beforehand. Yeah.
1: Like if that had been an option before, I would have been like, oh, yeah, go get Macau Bridges every time. Yeah. Not even a question. yeah.
0: And I think that that's worth, it's worth giving Kleiman, like, cause, you know, I, I heard some people kind of be like, and I kind of was a little underwhelmed too of like, oh, why didn't Kleiman do anything? It's like, man, he tried. Like, like, yeah. He, he, he gave, he was willing to give. I know Kevin Durant wasn't on the table, but like, he point blank said we'll give you every pick every swap for kevin durant and then he also was like i'll give three draft picks for og and then he you know as soon as bridges was was in maybe potential of being in a, in a three-team trade he immediately said i'll give four draft picks for that guy like it's not like Kleiman was not on the phone or trying to do anything um yeah it just it's very unfortunate when you have a guy that's willing to go all in like that and you just kind of don't get what you were looking for, I think ultimately the Raptors were being pretty insane, the asking price in total for OG. I mean, I think if you're being asked, if you're being given three first-round picks and there's not like he could be an unrestricted free agent this offseason, well, not not this offseason, but next offseason, if, if three first-round picks for a guy that could simply opt out and leave you in basically a year and a few months, I don't know how you sit there and try to pry even more out of a team instead of just taking that. Now, granted, I don't know if there were, you know, heavy protections on it or something. But, man, I just I, – I don't really understand it. And so I, I, I totally am with Kleiman's reasoning of like, hey, man, I'll give you three first-round picks. I'm not going to sit here and give you three first-round picks and Zaire and Santi or any of those things. Like, I, that's yeah. crazy from Masai.
1: Well, and I think, like – some of the stuff that came out after was that the Raptors, after KD and Kyrie left, now thought that the East was more open and they would have a shot. And I'm like, I still don't think, like, y'all aren't beating the Bucks for the Celtics. Like, as much as I do enjoy, like, the roster that they have, and I think they have some good pieces, and it's also a question of, well, if all these people are trying to trade for Fred Van Vliet and OG and and Pascal Siakam, it's like, then why aren't the Raptors good right now like yeah. Gary Trent jr was in trade rumors so it's like why aren't they good right now If all these guys have so much trade value and it's almost like you've kind of seen i think i think that we've seen the ceiling for what this raptors team can be yeah and that is a first or second round exit uh in in the playoffs and i and i'm all for chasing playoff revenue i still think that there is There is something to be said about being a team that consistently goes to the playoffs and consistently wins, and I still think that's something to be proud of, and I think that sometimes, you know, the ring culture kind of, not like, obviously the ring is the most important thing, but you can't just throw away having good seasons and you know, building that fan relationship where even if you haven't seen your team win a championship, you know what it's like to win at least a first round playoff series. Like I'm I'm all for it if you if you want to go for that. But when it's the third year that you're doing that, that's when you gotta start being like, okay. Like where like even even with the Grizzlies, when the whole grit and grind thing, they, there came a time where it's like, OK, it's time to start looking for the next chapter. Yeah. And I think that that's what you can see that ever, ever since they lost Kawhi, the Raptors have not had they haven't had like somebody to build around the way that I think that they really want, whether that's a young player. uh, They thought it was going to be Pascal, which Pascal has become blossomed to a great player. uh, yeah. But I don't know if he's still the guy that they necessarily want to build around as like the number one guy. And I think that's kind of what they are trying to figure out. And if they had traded OG and stuff like that, that's kind of like, okay, they're going into a full rebuild. But I don't know. Maybe they don't want to go into a full rebuild. I think three first round picks for OG and Anobi uh, and then maybe a player in there. I don't know who it would have been, whether it was Zaire, whether I mean, people were talking about maybe it being Dylan uh but yeah. th- there's a lot of options with that uh but i i still think that regardless of the fact that that he didn't get traded now i think that it sets up frameworks for deals over the summer mm-hmm. uh for the Grizzlies and for everybody else because that's that's how it works you know you kind of figure out what's going on to trade deadline let the next couple months play out and then maybe go for your big swing over the summer
0: yeah and i i just think I just think they they missed out if they ever end up trading OG Onanobi because this was the time he's 25 years old he has the rest of this year next year and a player option and going forward he only he's only getting older he will only has one guaranteed year left from his own decision making mm-hmm. starting this offseason you're not getting three first round picks after that so so if they're really all in on winning you better do something because trading him later on, especially this summer, would be a much, I don't want to say much worse, but definitely a lower value. And I, you know, I I, I commend them for winning, you know, like you said. And I like how they, I kind of like the aggressive move to go back and get Pirtle. Um, you know, you know, they added him. They traded that protected first round pick from next year's draft. But Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. can both, if they want to, walk this offseason. And so, man, would that be a disaster if after thinking about trading those guys in OG, they didn't move any of them, you end up trading OG this offseason because you're kind of losing everything and you need to get something out of him before he just walks the next year and you yeah. lose Van VanVleet. And, you know, my my personal opinion, the moment that that report came out that Fred VanVleet is connected to, like, Orlando and Phoenix, I just think that that's real indicator that, like, Fred VanVleet would love to be in Phoenix. He even posted that little picture with Booker, just kind of like a teaser right after. And Orlando, I think, would be willing to throw the money he wants, considering how how all their guys are on like rookie scale contracts right now.
1: Definitely. And when you look at Phoenix, now that they have KD locked up for the next, I think, three or four years now with that extension. uh, And I don't know what Chris Paul is going to do after this season. I don't know if this is his last year or not. I think if they, I think if they, if the Suns win it all, it's probably going to be his last season. Because I think that's the only reason, the only thing, the only reason Chris Paul hasn't retired yet is because he hasn't won a ring. That's I, the way I look at it. So. I think that
0: would also make sense of like, I don't think he was dumb on Chris Paul's part. I think he knew maybe what he potentially was doing when he kind of had the non-guaranteed last two years. I, I think that that's a good point.
1: Um, yeah, I think I think that was the point is where. He can, if he wants to, he can stay. But I think that he's getting to the point where even in his numbers, like he's still going to be efficient on the mid-range jumper. And if he is just catch and shoot outside of like Devin Booker, I think he's going to be fine. Still a great with the ball in his hand, passer and all that. Uh, But yeah, it's looking like you can tell that he's on, he's at the end. And I think that, Maybe, maybe that's what Fred VanVleet is hoping out for. He's going to go and make a new super team in uh, in Phoenix after this. So who knows?
0: It'll be interesting. Um, absolutely love just going on tangents like that. It's kind of funny how we were going from talking about Grizzlies and we've ended up talking about the Raptors and now talking about Fred VanVleet. And Well, <laughs> <laughs> I love these things. That's that's why. Hey, that's the beauty of a podcast, man. Um, but kind of back to where we were going. They did end up making a move at the deadline, the Grizzlies. Um, they traded Danny Green in three second-round picks that was involved in a three-team trade uh, with the Clippers and the Rockets, and they ended up with Luke Kennard. Um, first off, did you think that Danny Green had any potential or, like, a place with the team?
1: I think that he definitely had potential, uh, just as another guy, like just a wing guy to come off the bench and maybe give you 10, 12 minutes and make some threes, you know. Uh, But I think that it was always the plan, no matter what uh, people said in the media about, you know, and and, and I think that Danny Green probably knew, too, that he probably wasn't going to be in Memphis for long. Uh, But it was like he came to here, uh, was great in the locker room, hopped on our broadcast a couple of times. The broadcast team was a great vet for everybody. And I think that's kind of what they got him for. And then for the playoff run they get a guy who is, is better than Danny green. Like it's not a question that I oh, think you yeah. can arch better than Danny green. And, you know, it's a position that the Grizzlies need. They need wing depth, especially now that Zaire, uh, he, he was hurt at the beginning of the season. It kind of derailed his year. Uh, he's been playing, he's been playing G league games. Yeah. It's not so, been
0: great this year too. For yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's like, you got to go and get somebody or, John Conchar is your backup two slash three. And I think that's kind of what they were like. Can we get somebody that's better than that? And as, like I said, Danny Green was great for the locker room, but Danny Green in three seconds is as close to not giving up anything. Oh yeah. <laughs> that you can, because I mean, I think he played in two games. So you're not giving up anybody who's consistently been in the rotation and three second round picks, which Second round picks at this point are like candy, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, <speaking of> <laughs> around like crazy at this deadline.
1: Yeah, there was multiple deals where it was five second round picks and all that. So I think that I think that for what they got, I think it was solid. I mean, hey, you're a Clippers fan, so you probably know even more about Canard than I do. So
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know, I I didn't obviously think it was like a bad trade or anything, but I was just like. To me, it was just a little underwhelming for the Grizzlies in the sense that they they wanted a point of attack defender that could shoot three, and Luke is as is one of the greatest shooters in the league right now. Like I like there is no undermining that. But from my perspective, and I think what most Clipper fans would kind of yell out and shout as much as they possibly could is, man, he is timid to shoot the ball. Like it's and it it, it doesn't even make sense with just how how good of a three point shooter he is, and so. When that's why you're in and you're timid to let it, you know, just let it go and pull the trigger, it gets hard at times. And I think that's why he kind of found his way out of the Clippers' rotation. Um, and maybe, maybe things change, you know, new setting. Maybe he's more willing to shoot the ball, like, like I don't know, just getting passes. It's obvious. I love, you know, Kawhi, Kawhi and Paul George, two great players. They're not the playmaker that John Moran is in the sense of, you know, zipping a pass cross court or something like that. So maybe that kind of gives Luke more room to be more comfortable to shoot it quicker. But that plus – and I don't even think Luke is that bad of a defender. Like, I don't think he's necessarily like a team defender liability. Like, I think he's smart. He knows where to be. Obviously, he's a little limited on the ball. But because of that, teams attack him like crazy. And I thought it was just so amplified even in game one with this against the Celtics. they were just going at him like crazy. Like, it was – and so I think the team's struggling so much from three – He can provide a big boost in that area. And, you know, the defense isn't just horrendous to the point where, like, it doesn't – he can outweigh if he shoots enough some of the defensive stuff and how much he'll be attacked. What did you think about the move? Like, were you happy with it? And where do you think he kind of falls in the rotation?
1: Well, obviously, like you said, they were looking for maybe a bigger move. But once – like, you got to go down the list, right? Mm -hmm. Like, your two biggest needs that you need – are people point of attack perimeter defenders and three-point shooting so you look for somebody that can give you both of those whether that's og which is more defense than shooting or a guy like mccall that gives you both even a guy like malik beasley uh who people talked about maybe them going after and jared vanderbilt from the jazz and it's like you kind of go down the list and it's like well you start to run out of guys that can give you both and you start having to pick like okay this guy's gone uh you know, this guy isn't getting traded. We tried to get OG. Uh, Mikhail is staying in. And it's like you go through the guys and it's like, okay, well, the number one thing, like they got to get a shooter. And I think getting Kennard, uh, they didn't have to give up anything. Like I said, that was in the actual rotation, some second round picks and a guy who has had more podcasts, like the one we're doing right now, has had more podcasts and games played this year. So it's like, no, like, not even just to be funny, but you yeah. know what I mean? It's, I mean, it's truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he, he hasn't been playing, so it's okay. And I think you you give up as close to nothing as you can yeah. and still get a guy who is going to be in the playoff rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way I look at it, I think they're better with Luke Kennard. Now, are they the best team in the West with Luke Kennard? Maybe not. But they're better than they were without them. So I think that they got better at the trade deadline. And I think that's as like that's all you can really ask for when all those other deals kind of fall through. Uh I, I'm glad they it, it it's really just good to know that the front office is kind of changing their mindset a little bit. Yeah. Not completely throwing out development because that's not the case, uh, but just to know that Kleiman is willing to make moves yeah. and is actively looking for those moves, whether that's in the trade deadline or it's going to be going into the summer. And I think that's just the biggest thing is that they, they and I think there's sometimes like you talk about people on social media where they'll be like, ah, oh, Kleiman isn't doing anything. Kleiman is just content with the team as is. And it's like, just because he didn't like, you understand that two teams have to agree to a trade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, like, obviously I'm sure Zach Kleiman does want Kevin Durant. Like, If you asked him, does he want Kevin Durant on his team? I'm sure he'd say yes, but you can't just be like, oh, yeah, we want KD. Here's John Contrar in a second-round pick. Let's bring him – you know what I mean? Like, you got to think – like, you got got to think about stuff. You got to think about – I mean, I I think offering all those first was important too, you know.
0: Yeah, and I – like, that's always been such a huge point. So, obviously, don't do it anymore because the trade deadline has passed. But every Sunday on my Twitter, I do hypothetical trade ideas. And man, you would just be surprised. Like for instance, I did one one week that involved the Grizzlies giving up three first Zaire was in it. And I think DB was in it, or maybe it was Danny green. I don't even remember, but it was three first, one of those two expiring contracts and Zaire and Grizzlies fans were like, what is this? What is this? And I'm I'm like, you realize that like the Raptors asking price is like, you're not getting him if you don't kind of give up this kind of stuff. So Considering what's been reported, why would I make a hypothetical trade idea that doesn't involve with what they would need in return to make the deal? <laughs>
1: yeah, and then it's also a thing where another reason why the Grizzlies don't make as many moves, I think, as people would think, is because there's a lot of guys that are more valuable on the Grizzlies than they would be to other teams. True, and I think that's and I think that's the issue. Like Dylan Brooks is more valuable to the Grizzlies than he probably is on the open trade market oh yeah just because of all yeah just because of all the stuff he does and like kind of the narratives around them so it's like you might as well keep him at that point uh even a guy like we talked about john contrar you know i feel like john contrar as much as he has had some cardio days and stuff like that where he hasn't done much uh he probably is more valuable yeah. uh than if you traded him you're probably not going to get much back and i think that's probably part of the reason why and that's another reason why they're not on the buyout market either because they'd have to cut somebody and they're like they don't know if they just want to straight up cut somebody for nothing uh which i don't know if they're, they're not they're not at that point where they just need to start cutting people or anything so yeah
0: <laughs> um and then just kind of transitioning from this obviously the team's team said at this point um and obviously you know beginning it was like towards the beginning of the year was on i think it was like taylor rooks Podcast something, and he you know, makes the quote of, Yeah, we're fine in the West. Like, we're worried about the Celtics. Well, right now, they are 17 and 16 against the rest of the West. Um, they're 0 1 versus the Nuggets, 2 2 versus the Kings, 2 2 versus the Suns. Haven't played the Clippers yet. 2 2 versus the Timberwolves, and 0 1 versus the Mavs. Um, you know, where do you stand currently in confidence on this year's team after coming off of a postseason like last year where they made a huge jump?
1: I still have confidence that if they play. At, the, at their at their best if they play at their best they are going to have a chance against any team in the west yeah. i think i think it's fair. Right? i
0: think it's fair. right
1: if they play at their best the problem is that that has not been happening yeah. a lot over the past like month and i think that's kind of the thing and it's obviously it comes down to stuff on the court but i feel like there's a lot of stuff off the court that might be affecting like the mental stuff like you go back to the whole Shannon Sharp thing, every and I think you can even look at like even on Jaws Twitter, uh, he hasn't been as active on social media, kind of like taking a step back from that kind of stuff, yeah, just because of all the like narratives and stuff that's kind of been not to say that they haven't been a part of it because obviously, you know, saying you're finding the West is going to you're going to get some feedback back from the west of the west right (laughs) so it's like it's not to say that it's not like that but it's like i think that they got a little bit hyper focused and you know the whole jaren is has fake blocks and then uh people are pointing lasers at the pacers team and like and like all this kind of stuff starts coming out and then in the middle of all that uh like I said, the Shannon Sharp thing happens courtside. And it's just like all this other stuff that's been going around where most of the times you hear people talk about the Grizzlies. It hasn't had anything to do with the basketball team. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a thing where they kind of get got to get back to how it was like early in the season, uh, focus more on basketball and stuff. And I think after the All-Star break, they get this break, come back, get Steven Adams back healthy, hopefully after the All-Star break, or at least get an update on when that'll be. Uh, because it said three to five weeks and it's been we're closer to the three week mark now so he should be coming back pretty soon yeah Uh, but we'll see what's going on after the all-star break and then just try to string some wins together they're they're in a great position I think that's the good thing is they're in a great position uh it's gonna be weird to see who they end up playing out of that west play-in because there's no telling who's gonna be in that uh and that's even if they stay at the two seed assuming they do end up staying at the two seed they'd be worried about that uh but based on I mean, they, they had, they've had their worst stretch of the season and they're still second in the West. Uh, You could be a team like new Orleans, they've had some injuries and now they're fighting for their, you know, th- and it's like, you really see how big that 11 game winning streak is really the difference in the season. Because yeah. without that, you're basically, well, obviously not to say they would have lost all those games, but instead of going 11 and zero, you go seven and four on those games and now, like, not to even say that's bad, like seven and four, that's still good for most teams in the NBA. Yeah. You go seven and four instead of 11 and 0, and you're sitting here worried about the play in game. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that, like, giving themselves that much cushion helped them a lot. Uh, even though they did give a lot of it back up, they still have a good cushion on the Kings, uh, and they're not worried about the play in, which coming into the season, a lot of people were saying, which It was really surprising to me some of the takes that I heard about the Grizzlies coming into this year, about you know losing Cal and DeAnthony and all that. I think it was mostly because I thought Jaron was going to be out longer than. That was my biggest concern. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that was the thing is that you know I bet if you if you go back to June when people were saying all that and you say hey, but Jaron comes back November fifteenth instead of January fifteenth, a lot of those takes would have been a lot different.
0: Cause I think, I think preseason predictions, I had them like seven or eight and I was not anticipating Jaron being back till like, I think it was like late December or early January, which was, I think was, cause I think that was like the original report was like a six month timeline or something like that whenever it happened over the summer. And so I was like, man, that that's rough, <laughs> like that much time without like a guy that really uplifts them to a top defense. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you're totally right. You go back and tell me November 15th, I go, okay, well they might. Struggle the first fifteen games, but then they'll be right back where they're doing where they're at. But
1: yeah, and and, yeah, and I think that was the big thing. uh, It's just getting him back as early as they did. I think is the reason they're in the position they are now. And I mean, not to say that they started out horrible, like you said. I mean, they're like twelve and nine, but like you know, after he came back and the defense really got back to what it's been in the past past couple seasons, uh, you've kind of seen them kind of take off. Obviously, they still had that tough stretch of games. I think every team has at least one of those. The only team that really hasn't had one of those this year is the Nuggets, because I think even the Celtics just had a losing streak of their own, like while the Grizzlies were going on a little bit of a losing streak, too. Yeah. So it's it's like it happens. I don't think that it's anything to be like super concerned about. I don't think that I don't think that any of the concerns that I had about the team, uh, they haven't changed since that. Since that like losing streak happened, yeah, know a lot of the same stuff was like free throws, three point shooting, uh, perimeter defense, even when they were on that 11 game winning streak, we Mm -hmm. still knew that those were the holes in the team. And I think that on this stretch, you just kind of they've been shown even more, you know. Uh, but I still think that they're going to get back in a rhythm. I think Steven Adams coming back is going to help them a lot, uh, getting him back and everything, uh, and then just see. See what they got. Maybe one of the rookies can do something. You know, they had five rookies coming into this year. Uh, They knew Kenneth Lofton Jr. and Vince Williams were going to be on the hustle. But they were looking for one of like either Jake LaRavia or David Roddy to make a real impact. And they just haven't like for most of the year. Roddy has been the best out of any of them, but still not not to the level that they were kind of expecting. At least wanted them to break out and kind of be that next rotation guy.
0: Yeah, for sure. And just kind of two last questions before we wrap it up here. First one, um, what team in the West kind of con- do you have the most concerns about in a potential playoff matchup with the Grizzlies?
1: I mean, since the trade, probably the Suns. Like, I'll just be honest. Like, yeah. <laughs> that team, that's ridiculous. Uh, even even though I know that they had some issues at the end of last year, uh, when you have a guy like Kevin Durant on the roster, uh, Kevin Durant has been like the entire time in the NBA he's been the if not the best scorer, one of the best scores in the oh, NBA yeah. since he stepped foot in the league mm-hmm. and you add him to a team that already has Devin Booker and already has Chris Paul and then the guy that everybody forgets about which Makes sense because he has had his struggles as DeAndre Ayton, but I feel like having Kevin Durant is going to open him up a lot more, too, and I think they have a really good team. I know their bench isn't as great now because, I mean, they lost Cam Johnson and stuff like that, Uh, but I I still think that team is probably the most difficult, and then as much as I hate to say it, I would not want a first-round series with the Warriors.
0: Oh no. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that, yeah. Like
1: <laughs> if you're talking like the warriors are that 17 in the plan, like you just, you don't want that to be your first round series.
0: Yeah. And that's just, it's a team that like, you know, obviously they won a championship last year, but you know, like you see it on some nights, they're just a team that I think could beat anybody in a series, any given series. I don't feel confident in them to do what they did last year in terms of winning four series, even maybe three this year, but they could quite easily go up against pretty much anybody in the league and play spoiler just because of how good they are at their peak. So I, I totally agree with you there. And to the Suns, man, I think it's just, I think I'd agree. I think I would say that like, they're everyone's worst, you know, concern. Exactly. Because, yeah. you know, to the point of DeAndre Aiden, like now with him, it's not, Oh, like we need you to step up more. You were a number one pick. We need you to be 20. No, like you're playing with, KD Book and CP3. Now it's like that guy can focus more on the defensive end now, focus on being a screener, focus on the offensive glass. Like, and DA can just be even more efficient. And just the fact that, like, Josh Akogi has been a great pickup for that team this year. Torrey Craig mm-hmm. has kind of been like an even better rotation player back to what he was like a few years ago. And then, you know, they just got Terrence Ross in the buyout market and he's shown some signs in Orlando. I assume they'll probably get another buyout guy uh, that, you know, they made a small move to lose shed some money off they traded for Darius Baisley. Maybe there's some athleticism, some help in there. You know, he's always shown some signs of in like I, campaigns coming back. Shamit could maybe be a guard for them. I know he struggled this year, but like they have some options to where the bench isn't just terrible. And so when you have a yeah when you have like a good enough bench with a group of four like that it, it's just scary for anybody
1: well yeah and they're like they're not as unstoppable as that warriors team was just because no. they don't have like a Steph or a clay yeah but when you look at that team like their bench wasn't great i think they had like jonas Jurepko and like guys like that like xavier mckinney or like yep. <laughs> like or Al- alfonso yep. mckinney sorry it's like yeah Exactly. So it's like <laughs> it's not like they had a bunch of world beaters coming off the bench either. Uh, but when you have like a starting five or really like a big four kind of that's as good as they have, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult to stop them. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say they're the number one team to kind of worry about, and also they're in like a weird spot too, where they're the favorite, but they're also not going to be like a one or two seed. Yeah, uh, which you rarely ever see that. I guess just because of the trades, where a lot of people like would say the favorites in the West are not any of the top like three teams. I mean, you, see, a lot of people have the nuggets up there, but I still have a lot of people that are like, when I'm talking to people, it's like the Suns and the warriors and the Mavericks still yeah. even more than the nuggets. You have to number one seed. So it's just going to be a really interesting to see how it all plays out and what the matchups are actually going to be. I think matchups this year are going to be more important than Very any good. of the other years because it's not it's not a given that the 1 is going to be any 8 seed or the 2 is going to be any no. 7 seed it's it's not a given for anybody not not the way it is in the east you know
0: and as good as the nuggets are and I've labeled them a contender since day 1 of the offseason last year knowing that they were getting everybody back like the concerns especially now with who's in the west of having Jokic having to play as much pnr defense as he will have to play in a Dallas series or a Phoenix series and even, you know, in a potential Warrior series, again, like in the first round last year, that's a lot on Jokic's plate in terms of PNR defense with the type of personnel that those guys have on the other end creating offensively. So it will be intriguing, and the matchups are very important, like you mentioned. And, Bryson, I got one last question for you, and this somewhat in depth. What is your ideal playoff rotation for the Grizzlies as we get closer to it at this point?
1: Well, so... The starting five is gonna be Ja, Bain, Dylan, Jaron, and Steven Adams, no question. Uh, and then coming off the bench, locked in, definitely Tyus Jones, no question. That's one of my locked Definitely, yeah, definitely uh Brandon Clark. Yep. And then Santi Aldama. Yep. I think he's gonna play a lot of minutes. And then that last spot is it's gonna be Kennard canard and then maybe one of zaire david roddy somebody who might come in and give you some spurt minutes Mm -hmm. but in a perfect world zaire williams and david roddy don't really have to play that much but i'd give it to zaire over roddy right now even though i know zaire isn't the g league uh because i because we saw him do it last year yeah Uh, we've seen him play in the playoffs before i think that the reason why he's been so bad this year hasn't been because of his actual ability to play. I think the injury just derailed a season and oh, yeah. he wasn't able to like get into a rhythm. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I, I'm assuming they're going to bring him back up eventually uh, more sending him down to the hustle to see if he can just get in any kind of offensive rhythm because yeah. they've got him down there putting up 20 shots a night. Uh-huh. So, you know, just see if he can get to any kind of offensive rhythm, then come back and kind of play that role that he had. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I'll go for the rotation for now. Uh but ja it's gonna be heavy Ja, Jaron, and Bain uh mm-hmm. all like Ja's gonna be playing dang near 40 minutes. Dez is probably gonna be playing 37, 38, and you're gonna yeah. need Jaron to get close to 35 in a playoff series, I feel like, uh, yep. in order for them to be at their best.
0: Yeah, and you know, one thing that I'm very intrigued and I'm looking at heading into the playoffs for this team, and I wish I could see a little bit more of it in the regular season, especially with Steve O out right now is in 899 possessions a season Jaron and Brandon Clark have shared the floor those 899 it's a plus 10.1 uh net rating I I just think that the options with that group and just kind of like as much as I love Stevo I think that that could be a great lineup like for instance I mean you mentioned it earlier like Stevo was basically played off the floor in the first round last year and so it's like I would just love to see that duo a little bit more in the front court. And that's just something I
1: like it too. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Uh, Not to say that, you know, maybe, maybe not, that's, that's not the starting lineup. Maybe that's the closing lineup, you know, like, cause I've always been like BC and Jaren at the five, which would like Jaren at the five uh, he's gotten much better playing that position. He's gotten more comfortable playing that position. He's still at his best at the four people Mm -hmm. always talk about like his rebound numbers and you got to remember that he plays next to Steven Adams for some of that, (laughs) you know, like in the games where Steven doesn't play, you do see a little bit of a jump in his rebounds. Uh, But I think that that front court, that front court can do a lot. And I think you saw a lot of that in that Timberwolves series too, because that's, that's the front court they had to go with for a lot of the time. So,
0: so I'm very intrigued. It's still a really freaking good basketball team. They're still in second place, three game lead. And, yeah, it's just going to be fun. Playoffs should be awesome this year. But, Bryson, appreciate you taking your time out. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to make it happen. I owe. Yeah, for
1: sure. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah. But with that being said, this is the end of Episode 41 of the Coast to Coast Podcast. We'll see you guys next week.